Hello, and welcome to the I Word. This podcast may contain some strong language. Volume 5. I'm your host Andy Sellers and today I'm speaking to Luke Elliott. Luke is an actor and very soon he'll be a published children's author. Uh, Luke was kind enough to speak to me over Zoom early in the new year. So let's get into it. Just before we get into this episode, just wanted to let you know that the sound is a little bit different this week. Uh, we had a little trouble with the recording. Uh, so thankfully, thanks to Beth Duke, who was a guest previously, she was able to retrieve the Zoom recording for me. So hope you enjoy. Um, but yeah, are you all good to go? Yeah, yeah, I'm all, I'm all good. I'm just going to cough one more time just to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, get it all out, get it all yeah, out. Yeah. It's been really yeah. bad because um, uh, we've just started putting the heating on. Uh, and uh, my allergies, for some reason, have just gone off the scale, and I've been sneezing in the past three episodes. <laughs> I've been like having ten sneezes. <laughs> but um, yeah, so all good. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Luke. We <laughs> really appreciate thank it. You. Thank you for having me. Um, so we always start with asking, uh, when was the last time you wanted to be an actor? So when was that for you, Luke? Um, funny enough, I don't think I've ever thought that. Do you prefer to, do you prefer to think of yourself, um, uh, do you prefer not to think of yourself as an actor? Do you not? No, no. I, I, I very much accept being an actor. I will tell people I'm an actor. Um, I've, I've been doing it since 2012, professionally since late 2013 early 2014 oh, wow. um and yeah I'm, I'm very i'm very comfortable with that career title it's just that i i genuinely don't think that i ever thought to myself i want to act or i want to be an actor um i have a very weird uh, intro into the industry um it's kind of unorthodox and I think I, I kind of just fall into things. That tends to be my life. I just end up places <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm here now. Okay, cool. Um, and I think, um, well, I know that's definitely what happened with acting. And so I, I, I don't think I ever had chance to think that's, that's the path I want to be on. I was just suddenly on that path and walking down it. <laughs> and it, and it seems to seem to work out, I guess. It, yeah, it, it, it seemed to, it seemed to. Um, what was it that I, made you, what was it, if we're going to continue with the, 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 the path analogy, uh -huh. um, what was it that made you want to go down? Um, you're not allowed to laugh. No, I don't, I'm see. not going to laugh. I'm not going to laugh. So I'm going gonna... <laughs> to, it was, I wanted to be on Glee. That's not, that's not, uh, that's not funny. Yeah, that's try, great. Like, 
playing very hard. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not at all. I'm not at all. I, d- I um, think that's that. I I didn't. I'm not um, a fan of the show, but I've not really watched it, so I didn't know. <laughs> but from what I sound like, it sounds like it gives a really positive message. That makes you know, real clear sense. It was. It was. It's. It's bizarre. Um, I'm, I'm not a great singer, so it's a good job that I never got to be on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah. So what was it about it? Well, I, I, I tuned into it and I, I think I got halfway through the season or maybe it was the, the full first season. And I just thought, that looks really fun. It looks, it looks so fun. And I love music. And I love TV. And this is both wrapped in to one. And they're just having a great time. And I want to I wanna do that with them. I want to be on that. And it wasn't a, I want to act, I want to be in a musical it was just I wanted to do that one particular show. It never crossed my mind that there were other shows, and that this was like a, this was a thing, um, for that I that I would want to do. It was just Glee. What I understand about Glee is that it's a uh, seemingly a story about a group of uh, misfits who sort uh-huh. of band together and create a kind of like mini community. Was there yeah. a bit of that that appealed as well? Um, probably, probably to my underdog sensibilities, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calling you a misfit. I'm just intrigued. It's like it's it's. Quite oh no, s- I definitely was. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I was. I was. Yeah. Well, um, I wasn't. I wasn't like a, a popular kid, and it, it never really bothered me. Um, I was. I was more on the academic side throughout school, which is why this was such a weird path to end up on. When, when um, did you when did you first see it? First see Glee. Yeah. Uh, I want to say no. Um, Glee came out two thousand. I think it reached Britain two thousand ten. I think it was pretty much the same time as the US. Um, so yeah, two thousand ten, and um. I, funny enough, like I, like I said, I was more on the academic side and I, I dropped drama as soon as I could in secondary school. Hmm. It, I think it, after year seven, we were able to drop it and I, I dropped it without hesitation. Um, I didn't like being the center of attention. I didn't like having any focus on me. Um, and Glee really switched that up. Glee was suddenly like, I remember one of the characters um, is trying to, you know, get the the glee club um which is what it's centered around which is those those singing groups that they have in american high schools yeah um she says surely being part of something special makes you special um and i think a small part of that resonated with me um this idea that being part of something grand meant that you had some importance to play and Maybe subconsciously, you're right. Maybe that was something that that hit home for me. Um, and I've just, at the very surface level of, this looks fun to do, let me do that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 end, I ended up very naively jetting off to LA on my own for two weeks. Wow. And yeah, I was, I was <laughs> very... Took a jump. <laughs> I, was very, I was indeed. I was indeed. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was pounding the pavements. I was up at Paramount trying to, um, what's the word? Um, 
I was trying to get in <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> into the Paramount Studios, um, talking to the guards and trying to sweet Tom away in this that, and the other. And obviously it does not work like that. You know, it is not the 1940s where you can be spotted. I mean, sometimes that happens, but occasionally, but it's, it's rare. Um, and I, did, I, I didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't know anything about acting. I did not know. I, I, I knew nothing. And um, yeah, I'm still quite gutted that I, I never got to be in it because it really was life-changing for me. If it was not for Glee, I would be in a field somewhere trying to dig up Saxon gold because... <laughs> <laughs> that's such a lovely story. I think that's such a lovely story. You know, you see Glee and it sort of changes your attitudes, maybe. Mm -hmm. Drama. Did you, yeah. um, did you ever think about going, did you go to drama school? No. Did you ever think about going to drama school? I did, I considered it and it sounded scary. And, but it sounded like the right path to do. Um, it made sense. You know, I, I'd never studied it and I, I didn't know what I was doing. But I actually ended up um, going to an open audition with Birmingham Rep when they were having their refurb for their theatre. So they were doing a lot of um, site-specific work. And it was called The Witch's Promise. And it took place on the Wheelie Castle grounds here in Birmingham. <laughs> um, it's it's they're called it's called Wheelie Castle. It's not really castle. It's more like a hunting lodge, but it's very old. Dates back to I think the thirteenth, maybe fourteenth century. Um, and I got a pretty a decent role in that. It was it was quite big. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was it was this uh, community slash professional. Um, mix of people um, and it was very big and in number and like scale there was puppetry work and everything and it, I, it just snowballed from there I ended up at this other audition and then I was working with Birmingham Opera Company um, and um, there was a there was a Crescent there's the Crescent Theatre here in Birmingham and I was doing Shakespeare and that was a trip <laughs> that was a trip I'd never outside of like um, English language at GCSE I'd not studied Shakespeare mm. uh, I wasn't an actor I I was learning as I went along um, but it just it just kept going and then these jobs kept coming up and then I was being paid. Hmm. And um, now here I am having an interview about it all for your podcast. Happy <laughs> 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 to talk about it. Um, I suppose what I was going to ask then was that did you, because I think that uh, maybe rightly or, or wrongly, um, sort of drama school is seen as when people those kind of misfits all come to come together and have that that sort of connection like a gig club sort of would have. Yeah. Did you feel like you had that? Do you feel like, even though, unfortunately, you didn't get to go on the show, <laughs> never say never, but um, <laughs> they couldn't bring it back. Um, do you think that you ever got that? Uh, did you ever feel like you could, you could you put your finger on what was that thing that you liked about that first time 
that thing that changed your mind to when you started working or when you started going to that open audition or stuff like that? Um, I do. I do, actually. Um, there's been a few moments where even the first two jobs, so The Witch's Promise was, I still hold it in really high regard. It was, it was a great piece. Um, this fantasy merged with historical fact of, um, there was a 13th century plague that struck through Europe and it caused a massive famine. Um, and the writer, Stephanie Dale, tied that into um, this fantasy about witches and it was a curse. And um, there, was, there was only three professional actors actually and a lot of community and a lot of the community were children and they were fantastic. And there was something special about creating this piece where it traveled around this site and the audience get to move with it and they get to see it up close. And it was terrifying to do it in a way that wasn't scary. It was, it was, it was thrilling and it felt like we was creating the magic that Stephanie had wrote, that she'd made up. It felt like that in the air. There was this one, there was this one particular time where the witches cast out this spell that creates a storm and the crowd, the, the clouds broke and it rained. And we were like- That is spooky. It was brilliant. And, you know, of course, your logical brain is like, that's completely by chance. Yeah. You know, you're doing this for two weeks. We live in the UK. It's going to rain. Um, but it just, it just felt alive. And this group of people that you meet, that you work with, that you bond with, um, it's come up quite a few times for me. And I've been very lucky in a lot of the work that I've chosen and that I've ended up in in that I found these small pockets of community and these groups of people. I've been very lucky with casts. Yeah. Very lucky. I, I really, I haven't had much trouble with cast issues and, and bonding. It's been, yeah, it's been good so far. So yeah, I, f I feel like I have, I have felt that. And so just going back a little bit then, because you mentioned that you weren't, you mentioned that you dropped drama as soon as you possibly could. Mm -hmm. And that you, you mentioned that you're a bit more academic at school. And so yeah. I'm wondering, like, what, uh, what were you, what, what, what was your life like at school before you sort of like found that you wanted to do this? Like, what were you like when you dropped drama? What was the sort of life like for everyday Luke? <laughs> I was in the library all the time. <laughs> yeah, Read, reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I was just in the library. I, um, you know what? I'm lying. I apologise. There was. You can there lie was, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There was there was early periods. Um, I think the first few years, you know, lunches and whatever, I'd be with friends, but I always felt like I wasn't really in the friend group. It felt very much like I was on the outside. This ain't meant to be a sub story, so I apologize. No, no, you can say what you say what you want. You can talk about it. Um, it was just, it was, I was just with this group of people that, you know, this was the friend group. But I look back and I'm like, that, mm, 
You know how you do. They you weren't know, actually you. friends. They were, it, was yeah. a, it was a safety net sort of thing. It was just, yeah, it was just, it was just a group of kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. We were, to be fair, looking back at my secondary school, it's something that I, I've only really deeped the past few years. So I think we were actually the only black kids. There was just, it was a really small amount considering it was Birmingham, you know? Mm, mm. Um, it just, it just happened that this was just the group. And I guess maybe we just, we just found each other like that and that was it. And we just didn't realize. Um, and then later on, a lot of my friends that I would hang out with were South Asian. Um, but there were big periods in between because I felt the same in either group where I was just like, well, being in school is weird where, you know, you're thrown together with these other kids and for social survival, you bond. And sometimes those friendships are very real. Um, and sometimes they just exist because you're in school and you see each other five days a week. And I feel like it was the latter for me, you know? So there was these big periods I remember, um, probably throughout, um, maybe more towards the latter half of my time in secondary school where I would spend my lunches in the library. And um, I would be reading, I might be doing extra work. Um, I don't think I'd picked a career path back then. No, I, I did. Towards the end, I, I wanted, I flitted between being a translator I was very good at picking up languages. Oh yeah, uh, and I enjoyed them. I still do. I'm a I'm a big language fan. And then I think I it was it was right at the end when I was picking colleges, and I realised I wanted to be an archaeologist. And then in college, it flitted again, and I considered medicine. I considered going to Keel University to do an undergrad um, year foundation. Whereabouts is that? Um, Keel, I don't know where Keel Keel's is. I don't right. know. Um, Keel, I feel like, <laughs> no, Keel, It's got to be south, yeah. I think. Yeah. They do a foundation course for medicine. Right. And from there, you know, if you haven't done A-levels in like biology or whatever, you can do that course and then you can go into uh, training to be a doctor. Mm. Um, and of course, I was doing all the humanities classics um, in college because I was like, this will, this will help for future archaeology training at university. Yeah. Um, and I, I considered that. And then I, I went back to archaeology. Um, and it was, it was only after becoming an actor that I'd realized that I had picked my career paths based on media that I was intaking at the time. Right, right. So... Um, in case of medicine, I, around the time, I got really into scrubs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm not <laughs> laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm just acknowledging it. <laughs> it's fine. I'm laughing. Uh, <laughs> I got really into scrubs and I, I was just like, I, I guess subconsciously I wanted to do that. And I hadn't realized that actually I just wanted to do this. I wanted to act. I wanted to be on all these different things. I was, I was just taking what they were and going, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I'll do with my career. Um, I think I wanted to be an archeologist because I was a fan of Lara Croft. Yeah. All these, all these little- Great references. Things. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great references. <laughs> but 
yeah, I hadn't realized. Maybe I don't actually want to do that. I want to play at that. Um, That's what I was going to ask. Like, I mean, I kind of want to go back to uh, school a little bit, if, if it's all right. But also, um, it sounds like more than it sounds like more than that. That you were just like watching them and taking them all in. Do you have you sort of considered what it is about all those careers that, even though that's what you're in, like. Uh, digesting at the time in terms of media, have you considered what it is in those careers that connects them all, as well as acting? Um, I could I could probably find a link. If you if, yeah if you, if yeah if I yeah if I if I thought really hard, I I remember distinctly making when I I stopped wanting to be a doctor. It didn't last very long. It was a few months, but um, I remember suddenly snapping out of it and going. Mm, real medicine is not going to be funny like scrubs. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it is. <laughs> I'm not going to be in a hospital having all these, you know, zany hijinks. It's, <laughs> it's, it's going to yeah. be hard work and there's people dying and yeah, there's yeah. blood. I have a weird thing about, like, it's not going to work out for me. Um, and, um, yeah, there are, there are elements, of course, um, there's a part of me that really likes helping people, um, which obviously is a big part of being a good doctor. There's a part of me that really likes history and hidden, just the discovery of lost knowledge, mm. which is a big part of archeology, span the whole part of archeology span one might say. But um, yeah, I don't think there's much that connects them outside of, I just really loved these media pieces and one of the weird things about it is I would watch TV shows and I never considered it really until the past couple of days thinking about it. Um, I would, I would watch TV shows and I would put myself in them. So yeah. I would watch them and in real time, I would completely change the script to create a character, which was just me. I was, I was, saying, was, the character, was the character Luke or was the character someone yeah, else? Yeah, it was Luke. Um, <laughs> I would, like, I'd, I'd be, I'd, I would do with friends and I would be the seventh friend and I would be right there with them. I was, I think, in My Wife and Kids, I was there. I was dating Claire. I don't know where Tony had gone. I'd kicked him away. Gone out of the picture. He was gone. Um... And yeah, I used to watch and just completely rewrite the script as I was watching these episodes. Um, and it's never dawned on me until now that that's probably why I've ended up also writing. <laughs> I just haven't, I've, I've watched all these shows and taken, taken in all these art forms and never clucked what my brain was doing. And really it was just shouting at me, this is the kind of stuff, this is what you want to do. And I've ignored it as I often ignore myself and gone, oh, no, you just want to be a doctor. And my brain is like, you idiot, no. <laughs> you, you want yeah, right. Is there a, and say if this is, a, this is really fucking wrong, but um, is there a, a part of that that speaks about representation in media as well? In that you felt yeah. like you had to put yourself in the show? Quite, quite possibly, quite possibly. But is that, um, again, like... If you wanted to read into that, maybe you could, but it's not. It's, it wasn't the yeah. forefront of your thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It was not. A, yeah, it was not at the forefront. Not back then. I remember very 
very vividly um, that a lot of the, the TV shows that I would watch would be um, American shows on, do you remember the TV channel Bravo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would watch a lot of stuff on there because it was the only thing that was showing black TV shows. Um, from the late 90s to the mid 2000s, um, and one could argue now, really, um, Britain wasn't producing any centered on black families. Um, and a lot of representation, I remember as a kid growing up, um, you know, we, we had, we've had in the past, we've had Desmond's and we've had, um, the real McCoy's. Um, and then it just, it just, it just stopped. And a lot of the black representation I remember seeing, I remember sitting and going, that's not, that's not me. And I remember when Britain got the Bravo channel and was showing on top of, um, the Fresh Prince, you had um, Half and Half, One on One, My Wife and Kids, Eve, um, all these all these great shows. And I remember going, oh, okay, this is just about a regular family. Um, and I, I don't think it was, it wasn't even, that was not a conscious thing. That wasn't a, a thing in the forefront of my brain representation on TV. I just look back now and I realized that I was just very drawn to that channel and that was all I would watch. Um, and outside of that, it was, it was friends and scrubs. There wasn't anything else. Um, and so I obviously, you know, kids, kids pick up and they're, they're, they're very aware of these things without being consciously aware. Um, and so, yeah, I was probably, I might've been placing myself in, in these yeah i could if, if you want to look into it and and get deep i was probably placing myself in these shows because i couldn't relate to any of the characters <laughs> that was that was probably yeah. something i was i was doing thinking about it um because yeah i was just me whereas in my wife and kids which i think is the only black show that i did it for i was specifically dating one of the characters <laughs> I, I had a crush on her. Yeah. There was a thing about how how ditzy she was, which was really cute um, <laughs> for my younger self. Um, yeah, that's that's an interesting. I don't, want to send you, I don't want to send you down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do that to you. I'm really sorry, but I just was. I'm just interested. I'm just interested. Um, cause I, I really, it got, I, I don't know. I just, I really relate to your, um, your experience at school as well. I was, it was exactly the same. I think it's an interesting school. I think is, um, is an interesting place, uh, to be, um, uh, for me, uh, cause I'm quite, I'm, I'm publicly quite, uh, extroverted, but I'm, I'm yeah. definitely introverted and I need, I was speaking to Nadia about it the other day, actually. Um, our mutual friend and, and just been on the podcast um, about how I sort of need time on my own so I can spend time with other people. Like I need I, time on my own to recharge so that then yeah. I can spend time with other people. Yeah. I see you nodding. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's, 
I think that school is an interesting place for that because uh, if you're on your own in school, and I think I sort of thought it as well, you, you just feel like you have that really sad thing of like, oh no, I don't have any friends. But actually it's like, that, that's part of kids and life hasn't grown yet. Like being yeah. on your own is not, is not a norm. And so it's, it's sort of like, oh, you're like a recluse or you're like a weirdo. <laughs> you like to go to the library. It's like, no, I just want to read, I want to read yeah. plays in the library. <laughs> yeah, for real. For real. Um, <laughs> but kids, um, kids taking in things uh, and being responsive is a perfect segue to your book, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've written a fucking book. I have. Like a kid's book. How, yeah. so I, I kind of want to ask as well, what, uh, if there were people who, who helped you along the way, um, not just in writing the book, which you want to talk about, I'd love for you to talk about, but also people who helped you along the way in, in acting as well. Is there anyone who, who sort of championed you? And sort of gave you that guidance that you you needed. Mm. Well, not needed, but gave you guidance. Um, definitely needed guidance. Still need guidance. <laughs> yeah. Can you give the, Can um, you give me then their number? I, I kind of need some as well. That's all right. <laughs> um, you know what? Truthfully, I've I've found it very difficult. Um, I found it very difficult to find guidance like that in in people already in the industry and people who are seemingly more established um it's very weird i have a i love birmingham and i love a lot of people working in birmingham have you lived there all your life sorry just interrupted yeah birmingham born and raised right born and bred um (laughs) sorry i interrupted you no no it's fine um but it's it's when I moved to London and I moved in 2019 in May and I got a lot of work very rapidly, which it's London, there's, 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 it's bigger, there's more opportunity. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, it was last year. And I just done a show with um, Initiative DKF, um, which is a fantastic small company run by Dami and Wafi. And they had a show called um, Fragments of a Complicated Mind, in which um, I had I'd actually auditioned for, and I had um, never. Um, bear with me a second. So sorry. Who is um, that? That was my mom. Oh, so, what's your mom's name? Uh, Tina. Oh, hello, Tina. She, I hope she's well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, she needed technical support. Um, <laughs> it runs in the family. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Uh, uh, I'll try and go back in my mind to make it easier for you. Um, okay, right. yeah. Go for it, go for it. Um, it's, yeah, so Initiative DKF is run by um, Dami and Wafai. Um, and I'd auditioned for their show, Fragments of a Complicated Mind, back in, uh, gosh, maybe November 2019, I think. Um, 
long story short, like I, I didn't get it, and then I did get it, um, and I had to come in very last minute through no one's no one's fault. It's just the way the the, the chips fell, and I <laughs> I had um, I think four rehearsal days, maybe five, to learn this whole new play, which was Jesus. It was so abstract. And there was so much intricate movement involved. It was terrifying. But they, Wafai and Dami and the cast, who are now people I consider my friends outside of just being colleagues, mm. um, were fantastic and really supportive. I was in really good hands to be able to manage to do that. Um, and I found myself then at, um, at an event at the National um, this rap party for um, the three sisters um, and it was this poetry event and I was there with with um, with Dami and one of the other members of the cast and her partner um, and then a bunch of other mutual creatives from Twitter that are within the industry um, directors that I knew from Birmingham, who are actually from London and are back in London working. And suddenly I was like, I was very aware of this community around me. And it's something that I felt like I had missed in Birmingham. Like, I, I, I don't know what's happened for me. I know other people have found the community. I just haven't. And it could just be completely by chance. Um, but because of that, I, I look and I, I, I'm, I'm aware that I found it hard to find people to champion me and when they when they have I haven't known about it I know of um I'll shout out Daniel Bailey because I know of one specific instance he's championed me for a role where um a director and casting director were they couldn't choose between me and this other guy um but a lot of my support that I know of has come through friends people like Nadi um Safi who you had on the show people um like uh, my friend and creative partner, Luke James, who has been champion me, uh, championing me and reading and giving me notes on my writing. Um, I've just ended up with friends that do this. Yeah, that's... that's which is lovely. Those are, those are absolutely the people I'm meaning. That's like the, the, the people <laughs> who are... The people who, you know, like, I think it, it, it doesn't... It's so underestimated, that thing of... Um, that thing of just unconditional just like oh do you mind reading this it's like yeah absolutely and I think that yeah Nad, what a great example of someone who would just 100% do that sort of thing yeah um, I, I feel like I probably I, there's a high chance that I could have quit without Nadi as a, as a friend <laughs> I really I really do because um when we were both, we, we both pretty much ended, entered the industry at the exact same time. We met on The Witch's Promise. Your, your, way, your way in sounds remarkably similar. In fact, you use similar language in terms of going with the, with just going where it takes you, which I think is really I, nice. I pictured, I, I imagine that would happen. We're actually yeah. twins. <laughs> we separated at birth. Yeah, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> Celestial twins. Um, I... Yeah, there was there was so much of those first few years um, where we were constantly around each other, 
um, especially because she was doing her, her degree at um, Birmingham Uni. Um, and we would just constantly be talking uh, and, and getting each other into these um, audition rooms going, you know, I've, I've heard there's, there's an audition going here, let's go and do that. And um, yeah, it, it, her help um, and her as a friend probably, yeah, removed those times where I was thinking that maybe this, this isn't for me. Um, I think you're right. The, 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 the friends that are there as, as career support, as well as just regular friends, probably do get um, overlooked and underrated because a lot of people would imagine that that's just what friends do. Yeah. And you can see it that way, but you know, I, I would never place that responsibility on them, you know, especially they, they have their own stuff to go on, you know, exactly. they've got their own areas to worry about. They, they're not obliged to help me with mine, mm. but they do. And so, you know, that, that, that deserves a shout out. But yeah, it would have been nice to have a mentor. Did you have a mentor? Oh, uh, yes. Well, I, I was, I've, I've been lucky that I, I had a couple helped me. A guy called Matt yeah. Lindsay and Jason Warren and Michelle Guyer at Big Little were really amazing nice. to me. But that's, I mean, that's, I, I always think that sort of stuff is, is, is so luck. I mean, do, what do you think? I mean, I wanted to go back to talk about the book. We've gone off on a tangent, but I, I kind of want to stick with it. Do you think about Do you think about a younger version of Luke now in Birmingham? In what sense? Was in like I I feel that because 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 people did that to me, I feel like now it's my uh, when I'm older when I actually have you know stuff to help them with. But I feel <laughs> like it would be my responsibility to give back in that way. That it, that's just my that's just my experience of it do you think about a young a young luke now in birmingham or in london and think i never had that so i really want to be that for someone you know what it's never it's actually never crossed my mind it hasn't and i think that's because of my entry into I would say just the acting industry, but also the writing industry. I really have no credentials. I shouldn't be doing anything. Um, <laughs> I've got no training, um, you know, no formal training, no degree in drama. No, I've got, I've got nothing to go on. Um, outside except, of, except, you know, nearly 10 years credit. experience, but that's fine. <laughs> you know, that's okay. We can brush over that. You've caused your, you've caused your credentials. <laughs> I I walk into theatre spaces having got the job and I've, it's, this has been something that I've had to unlearn the past couple of years. One year really because last year didn't really happen mm. um, and I would walk in fully aware that I have absolutely everything to learn from the people around me, especially people that had gone to study and have had and and had formal training um and it was a double-edged sword it mean that it meant that i was very ready to take in information to watch people how they work how they move um but it also meant that i made myself smaller which some right. people take advantage of um and it doesn't make you look any better people no. see that and they think they think all sorts of things um 
and that's something I've, I've had to unlearn, but I think I still have that because of, because of that, because I've been very aware that my knowledge was limited and is still limited. There are things that I will do exactly the same as people who have studied, but I will not know the terms. Right. I remember that I used, I, I would know how to action, but when someone said, we're going to do some actioning, I was, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Mm. And then they'd explain it and I'd be like, oh, okay. Nah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so of course I know how to do this. It's that, yeah. I mean, it's that weird psychological thing of just like, but it, if it, if it, you know, it's, it's living proof. I mean, Nadi didn't go to um, a, a, a quote, like big drama school, but it's yeah. like, it, you know, I think that if it's proof that like the learning comes from doing the actual job and, and it, it, but it is that weird psychological thing, I suppose, of, oh that person went there or like oh, yeah. this person went there and so they must know and it immediately puts you i mean i don't want to put a word in your mouth so does it feel like a disadvantage or an, a sense of being an imposter or is it not as dramatic as that it's just like you use smaller yeah so sm smaller but that was that was something i made myself i made myself smaller based on based on this psychological process which i think I think occurred as it still does now because <clears throat> I can't imagine myself mentoring someone because I just feel like, how can I teach you without the correct terms? How can I teach you on stuff that I do instinctively <laughs> that I don't have a word for, you know? Whereas but somebody it... else who's read these theories and but can say, this is what this is called. Um, and I'm sure, I could, I'm sure I could find a way. I'm sure there are people that do it. Um, but it's, it has left me with the idea of I, I can't teach somebody unless I've gone through the formal training myself. I don't feel like I'm there yet. Right, there, yeah. The yet, I suppose, is, is the big thing. But also, like, I don't know, is it like, look, we need to talk about your fucking book, Luke. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, no, no, but like, the, I don't know, is, like, it, is a mentor's job always to, to teach them? I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know, mentoring or just like guidance and just being there, I suppose I think, it's, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, that's much nicer. I think I could definitely be a mentor in terms of support. Yeah. And if I had a lot more, a lot more connections, um, it would probably be even more useful. But I think I have enough now where I could actually consider doing that now if someone needed, someone young needed help or someone old needed help, you know, mm. not... Mm. limit people um yeah i could yeah i could definitely be you know a, a support thing i could give it a go i wouldn't rule it out <laughs> <laughs> right. okay. um but yeah it is it is a weird psychological thing um yeah and it it yeah I, it did make me make myself smaller but i never had the imposter syndrome no i i fight against that massively oh, I, see. I have i feel that every Every moment in. It's so that's, hard. That's and you the thing look, me. look at the way our government is being run. <laughs> they don't know what we're doing. None of us should feel like imposters. <laughs> yeah. No one. No, no one I think, I, I, think I, I, reached, I reached a point, probably an age, when I looked around at adults and I just, I thought no one knows what they're doing. Everyone is winging it. They really are. They're just hoping for the best. And I think when you really focus on that, 
you can look and you can go, especially when you've, you've done it, you've, you've been on stages and I've been around people. I remember I've been on stages with people who studied at RADA and that is so, the first time that happened, I was just like, that's mad. That's mad that I am on this same stage with people who have studied at RADA. <laughs> and then I look and I see their insecurities mm. and I'm like, that shouldn't be you. That should be me. That should be me feeling like that. You are accredited, uh, having graduated the most prestigious drama school that the UK has. You've, for many people, you're considered to have earned your spot. I'm the fraud. I'm the one who's winged it up until this point to end up here. Um, and you just think, if, if you're still insecure, having with your experience with your training then why should i feel like an imposter why should i feel like i don't belong when really we are all here on the same level trying to prove ourselves there's no point there's no point in being an imposter you'd make a great mentor i don't know what you're saying <laughs> um but so with all the with all that with all that um the the, the stuff you talked about with credentials Mm -hmm. uh, how did you feel when you first started writing the book? Finally fucking got there. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, we don't have to talk about it much, but like, I'm, just, I'm just intrigued that, that how you felt going into that world then. You know, so it's not the first thing I'd written. It is the first book. For context, what, 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 what is it? If you can't the say book, exactly what it is, you don't. I can but. give you a little... A little byline or, or whatever they call it. a little flavor a little a little taste yeah um, so it's so it's under the company for me books this is for context so they they are very own voices oriented which means they're not going to have someone for example who is able-bodied write about someone who has a disability they're very aware that there is just so much nuance you can miss. And not only that, but you are pushing out authors who already struggle enough trying to get into yeah. the industry. When you could just hire someone to talk about something that they have way more firsthand experience of and also give them a job. Yeah. Um, and so they approached me and three other, two other people, sorry, because one of the, the founders is also a writer. Right. Uh, his name's Curtis, and he published, uh, self-published a book called Later, which is a children's book. And he'll be publishing another one in the coming year. Um, there is myself publishing a children's book. And there is a guy called Agaga Emoveum and a woman named Leanne Renault. And he decided to base to give us a, a brief, a very loose brief to work to that was loosely based on ourselves. So for me, um, it was about a young boy who wanted to be an actor. And he obviously, he didn't know at the time that I never had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> so again, I'm being a fraud. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is, I think that's as much as I can tell you. It is, um, yeah, it's about a young boy who wants to be an actor. It's, it's going to be, I hope, a very nice read. Um, 
it's going to look very nice. The illustrator, Asma Aden, is um, fantastic. Her character work is, is, is beautiful. And um, it's going to actually be kind of bilingual. I'm writing in Patwa as well. Yes, um, I remember you mentioning this now. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, oh, so the, the, boys, the boys' parents will speak Patwa. Um, and it's, it's funny because I've actually had to ask my friend in Jamaica to double check my Patwa. <laughs> because I'm, um, I'm what they call passively fluent. Okay. So I understand it as I understand English, but I can't produce it the way I produce English. So my writing, my writing is pretty good, um, but it just needs some work, especially around grammar. There's some things here and there. Um, my speaking is something that I really need to work on because it's just, I'm here in England, I speak English. Mm. There's not much chance. As anyone who's studied languages, um, it's, you have to really be around the people speaking it to, to have your, your vocal work at the same, the same level. Um, so yeah, she's, she's checked my patois. She's, her name's Shanice. Um, and yeah, that's, I think that's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting for people to see real patois for kids to, regardless of their ethnicity, their background, to be able to be exposed to a side of the world that they know in terms of media, Jamaica is a big media export. Um, but I don't think many people know patois outside of the swear words. <laughs> there's a, there's, a, there's yeah. a lot of swear words that people know. Right. And I think a lot of people don't know that they're swear words. Um, yeah. It'll be, yeah, it will just be nice. It'll just be nice to, to put my culture on the map a little bit more um, and be authentic with it. Was there... How did it feel to be asked? Because <laughs> it's like yeah, I, you, you mentioned it, you mentioned it briefly, and I don't, you don't have to talk about anything else in terms of your writing if you don't want to. But um, you mentioned it wasn't the first thing you wrote. But like, as a as you're calling yourself a forward of an actor, but you're not. You're an actor. You don't need to tell you that, but you are. But to be asked as a as a as an actor to to do a children's book is a real left turn. And so it's how a leap. Did, yeah, yeah. How did it feel to be asked? You know. I re I'm very glad you're asking questions because um, I can go off on a tangent and I realize <laughs> I'm supposed to be heading down here and I've, I, I um, so that's great. Um, it, it felt like it came at the right time. Interesting. I never considered it before. Um, but Last year, we couldn't act. We still can't, really. Um, it had stopped, it had finished, and like Nadi on, on her episode, you, we were left with, you know, what do we do now? What, what are we, what are we gonna do? Um, and it gave me a lot of time to recalibrate what I wanted my place in the world um, and what I can offer and I had already been writing for a couple of years a TV series um, just based off a thought that I had and that's where Luke James come in, comes in who I mentioned earlier um, and I'd hit some walls with that 
um, you know, people seem to like it and then it just didn't get any further. The doors just seem, didn't seem to be open. And I thought, well, I can't act, so let me just focus on that. And I thought to myself, um, there's a lot of opportunities out there for funding and competitions for short films, way more than for pilots or TV series. Um, and I thought, well, if I write a short film and it manages to be made, I can call myself a writer. I can call myself a screenwriter, which means that maybe some of these doors will creak open a little bit for me to walk in with my TV series. And so I wrote a short film. Um, and managed to get um, a couple of production companies on board for both these products, projects, which is nice. Um, I wouldn't normally talk about it because I was very much in the mindset of moving silence, like the G in lasagna. Mm. But I've <laughs> I since learned that um, the industry is is it's not as simple as this is good, let's get this made. You can, you can get right up to having made the pilot and it may never air. And so when I learned that, I thought, no, I need to celebrate every step that feels like a little accomplishment. Um, and I won't talk about what they are too much, but saying that you are working on something and that you've, you've made it to this point, that's an achievement because it is, it just is. You don't have to hit the end goal for it to be worth something, especially when the industry is so difficult. Um, so yeah, I'm comfortable mentioning it now. Um, and I thought, okay, well maybe, maybe I can call myself a writer. I haven't been paid yet, but maybe I can. And then I suddenly remembered that there was a job I did with Playhouse here in Birmingham, which um, does TIE shows. Okay. And I had co-written a play with them called Buried History. And I just completely forgot. I just completely forgot that now, whenever they get um, someone in to perform that, if it's not me for that character, whoever they get, that's my name on the script. And I thought, oh, wait, so am I a writer? I was very aware of all the people on social media that, there was that big period in time. It seems to have died down. There was a period where people would have everything in their bio. I'm an actor. I'm a dancer. I'm a. I'm an. I'm a. Oh, I, a still, think, I still think that's a thing. And, and, <laughs> that's definitely. Maybe I'm, maybe I've just curated my circle in a way that I. Don't <laughs> but I, I just I would look at those and I just think you surely you can't be all of those things. I think the it's. Thanks. So interesting you say that because I think there's such a difference. It's something I'm really conscious of as well of, of not being a writer, but saying that I that I would like to write. Yeah, and I think it's such a bit, it's such a different thing. It's, it's yeah. so different. Different. Yeah. And so, so that's why I, I didn't put writer in my bio until right. that point when I thought no, because I was waiting to get paid where I could feel like I'm a professional. Yes. And yeah. I thought no, I've te I've technically been paid to co-write this play, and so I, I did it um, and I put it in my bio. I thought, you know what? I've got these production companies attached. I've been paid to co-write a play. Cool. And I just thought, Let, this is something I can focus on. This is something I can do while I'm not acting. 
And then Curtis hit me up and said, have you ever considered writing a children's book? And I said, no, not at all, but I am interested. <laughs> and it was just at this right point in time and history where everything kind of combined for me to just be like, let me just throw myself at everything. And that was, that was kind of because he got in contact because you put the Euro writer in your bio. Um, no, he's not mentioned that. I did ask him actually. I think it was, you know where we met? We met at, at, at Nadi's yeah, birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so there was, there was uh, Ben who was also there. had asked yes, me. Yes, Ben Norris. Why, why, yeah, why did, yeah. He, why did he hit you up? And I was like, I, I don't know. I've never asked. And so I did ask him and he said that a lot of our social politics align which is what he's very keen on writing for children. And he likes the way I tweet. <laughs> yeah, right. No, yeah. yeah. He said the, the, the way I tweet is very, um, I guess, personal to me. Like I have a, I have a specific voice. Um, and he liked that. And so I, cause I wondered as well, it came after I put writer in the bio. Um, and maybe that was part of it. Maybe he saw that and thought, oh, he's also a writer. Cool. Um, in which case, I'm very glad I put it in my yeah, bio. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it just, it felt, why not give it a go? I'm not doing anything else. I have all this time to write. I've got no outside commitments because they've all disappeared. Um, why not just do it? Um, it sounds fun. Um, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> I want to, I, I want to just, um, ask you briefly, because I remember when we were speaking about, uh, when we were speaking about it at Nelly's thing, and you mentioned, you mentioned you had done, maybe it was research or not research, but you had, had heard some statistics about, uh, representation. Uh, in children's books that mm -hmm. was, that was uh, horrific. And I think it was, I mean, you remember it better, but it was something about, it was something about the representation of animals is bigger than black people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was um, the, the stat? So you, you are more likely in this current history, this current period of time right now, not five years ago, but right now you are more likely to find a children's book with an animal as the main character rather than a person of color. Right. Um, which is, is a person of color in general? Person of color in general, yeah, okay. not just black. Right, okay, so that was my, that was my mistake, but that's even, that's even worse. But so, um, <laughs> yeah, it's not my research. That, that, that research goes, well, the, it's already out there, anyone can Google it, but um, I learned from, from Ebony, who is more on the, the marketing, um, side of things at for me books um right. she's yeah she's the one if you if you end up seeing her um any posts from for me on twitter or um or instagram it's usually ebony behind it doing the marketing doing the right. statistics bringing up why they are doing what they're doing um yeah that's all her right most but so i'm i mean i'm really interested to know how it feels then to know that you're writing a book, know that you're writing a book about a young black kid who wants to be an actor. And how does that, how does knowing that knowledge, I don't know if you knew that before or, uh, or after writing, but how does that process feel 
writing for that audience? You mentioned about it's not just for one specific ethnicity, but I'm just mm -hmm. intrigued as to how that feels to, to be aware of that knowledge and be aware of the audience that you are in a way writing for. Yeah, it, it feels great. And I can't really put it in any other way. I'll right. elaborate, but it, it no, no, you, no, you don't have to. Is it? Is it? Does, is there a pressure, um, or is it not? I mean, I'm so relieved that it feels great because <laughs> I think I'd feel know, terrified. <laughs> there could be a pressure. There could be pressure, but it depends on I think your perspective. I don't feel too much pressure if I focus on it. Then I, right. I probably could. Um, but. So because of all those, that, that introspection that I was doing last year about where I am, where I fit into things, um, so much of that was sparked off of the, um, the uprisings we saw in regards to Black Lives Matter right. here and, and in the US. Um, and that's, that has been uh, such a major part of things that I am aware of for years, um, a good decade now in regards to social politics, I've been in that, that, that field of, of thought and awareness and whatever. Um, and it all coming up again when we had no choice but to just sit and see it all over the news and all over our phones. Um, it was very heavy and it just made everything pale in comparison um in regards to um my what i wanted out of my career it just felt everything felt very inconsequential there was just much bigger things you know when people are dying on the street mm -hmm. just like I, I i i'm not gonna sit and cry because i can't act right now yeah absolutely um and so i've just come to a point where i've i've thought what i what i want is to be able to marry how I feel about social politics and what I believe in and with the work that I do. And um, a big part of that was sparked as well um, with that same show that I did at the start of 2020. Um, it, was, it was basically, it was a stream of consciousness from a, um, from a black woman in the UK um, and how she feels on everything and anything. And this voice that you don't get to hear in the theatre from this group of mostly black cast members. Um, it was so refreshing to be around that as an actor. I don't know how it felt to be in the audience, but um, it, it felt great to be there. That was the kind of work I want to do. And I also want to do, you know, stuff that isn't targeted on about race and stuff like that because we yeah. don't. I don't. I don't feel like I have to be talking about that all the time. No. I don't think anyone should have. Talk, they should talk about that all the time. You know, um, there are other things you want to do. There's other things you want to write about. And, but, when you are aware of these things, it kind of permeates everything that you do. Just like when when you're aware of these things, you see it in everything. Um, and by it, and I don't mean like in social, in, social injustice um, in, in many levels and forms that it takes. 
um, I didn't know about the statistics when I agreed to do it. I just knew that, of course, we were lacking in representation in, in children's books, in books across the board. Um, and so I knew we, we, would be, we would be helping to fill a gap. And it was very nice because it was coming from black authors. Um, so not only are we filling a gap, it's just it, but we are also, they are also providing jobs for people within the community as well. Um, when, when the statistic came out, um, because it was very, it was towards the end of last year that, that news, those new statistics came out after their study. It's the FL something, I think. Um, it really hit home how important it is. Um, and I, I obviously do not want the book to just be read by black people and just be read by black Jamaicans in particular. But I am always in the work that I am creating and trying to create and trying to get off the ground black people are my audience. Mm. That's who I will write for. Because I cannot write for everyone. I just can't. The, the perspectives, what people expect are too, is too different. And black people are not a monolith, of course. But if I don't write with them in mind, who will? And that's a very bold, that's a very bold statement. I don't, I don't, no, no, I don't exist. No. I know I'm not the only one doing that at all and I haven't been the only one doing that there's plenty 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 people before me um and there will be after me and there, there is at the same time but you do I think I think when you when you are aware of this big disparity you do kind of have to think like that because the the scales are tipped too unevenly for you to not you kind of have to think that you're the only one out there doing this while being aware not otherwise you know you go completely off the deep end um but that is kind of the mindset yeah but and also uh, why why not you exactly why yeah. and why but also why why should i be writing for other people why should yeah. i and if we use the white community in particular why should i write for the white community when there are so many people writing for the white community anyway yeah. there isn't there isn't a lack of shows about white people and for, and for white people um, and I think if I was able, as many other non-white people were able and are able to enjoy something like Friends, which is very white, I think in the entire history of the show, there have been like three black characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really well, it's so interesting. I mean, you talked about it at the start. That was what, that was what made me ask the question about were you sort of subliminally putting yourself in the show just to help with the fucking representation because it's just it's i mean not just that but it's it's also it's it's not aged well in terms of its homophobia and yeah. sexism but yeah but sorry it's, i interrupted you when you were speaking no no it's fine um but yeah if we can if we can enjoy friends if that is a possibility then why is it not a possibility for white people to enjoy something that is written for a black audience? Mm. And I know there are plenty of white people that listen, that, that watch Insecure and they enjoy it. And there are plenty, there's a podcast called The Read um, by two black people in, in America. And it's 
they don't pull any punches. They do not pull any punches. And they have white people right into the show and they enjoy it and they love it. And they have white people going to their live shows. And I just think if, if, if this is a very clear and evident possibility, then why are we in an industry where you have producers who will take umbrage with the fact that you are not thinking about white people in your writing? Um, and I, I really can't think of anyone else. I can't write for anyone else. Um, I can just do what I can from my perspective and hope that first and foremost, black people love it, love it. And that I also hope that everyone else does too. And I know I can't please everybody. But crucially as well, you just want to do a good, like the first thing you said about the book was that I just want it to be a good read. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you just, sometimes I'm sure you just kind of don't want to have that pressure. You just want to write something that you think is good. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's this, I think there's, there is the idea that, you know, when you're, you're filling a, a, such a large gap that it has to be top, top quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, you know, most people that are creating, they, they want, they want to be able to produce something that is top, top quality. Mm. Um, and I am a perfectionist, which leads me to all sorts of procrastination naturally. Um, but I think to get anything off the ground, you, you, you kind of have to throw that aside and just go, you know what? We can start off with something mediocre and then I can work on it. Mm. Does it have to be perfect on the first draft? And it doesn't, and it shouldn't. Um, and there's plenty of shows and books out there that are absolutely terrible and they're making bank. Yeah. So the pressure when you are from any kind of uh, underprivileged background um, to put out something that is magnificent and will come out off the, off, come out straight out the gate with accolades. Mm. That's too high. That's, that's, that's too high. You, we have to, um, as various minorities, give ourselves the room to fail. Um, which sounds so defeatist and it's definitely not the No, no, it's, 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 it doesn't but, at all. <laughs> but um, it, when, you ha when you kind of hold that in the back of your mind, it, it kind of takes some of the pressure off of thinking everything we put out for this group of people that is not catered to needs to be absolutely perfect. Um, and it doesn't. It has to be good. Um, it has to be enjoyable. Um, it has to be full of care, especially with kids. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I would love if this book was like New York Times, number one bestseller, Guardian, five stars or whoever reviews them. Like, that would be amazing. But I, I cannot sit and, and aim for that because I'll, I'll never produce anything. That's too, yeah. that's yeah. too much, that's too much. I think there's something as well about, um, about like with the idea of, we had, um, Amina Hamid on the podcast well, uh, on the last volume I think this will be and we were just talking about sort of like commercial theatre and stuff coming back and I've, I've said it before I'll say it again like I'm not gonna we aren't gonna fix the world of theatre on, on my little podcast but the idea of the idea of um, of plays of of, of of work by uh, people of color 
not being commercial enough, I think is, is, is so re relevant now because it's things are starting to come back and what is being prioritized in terms of being put into the theaters with the idea of we need to make money and this idea that to, to make money, we have to do this kind of show. And this kind of show is often very much men and usually white, but in, yeah. in fact, if not always white and usually very well established. And if yeah. there is anything that has been proven over the last few years that you do not need, your show does not need to cater for a white audience for it to be successful. No. And it's it <laughs> <laughs> I just, the industry still has that mindset exactly it's, it's exactly. bizarre but I, I think it's what yeah, I was um, I bring that up because it was what you were I feel like it was we were talking about that yeah yeah and it, because it, it also leads to this idea that when you do commission something that is from um, you know some some someone who grew up and lived on an estate in Liverpool or someone who was black and from inner city London or Birmingham or an Arab woman, that it has to be of the utmost quality. Exceptional, yeah. For like exceptional. Did it. Yeah. And it's like, why, when you just did another Much Do About Nothing with the same actors? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what boundaries was that pushing? Why do we have to constantly push boundaries and be in the running for all the different establishment accolades? to be considered when you can put on something so mediocre because uh, it's got Ian McKellen in it. We spoke about Ian McKellen in the last podcast as well. That's <laughs> weird to bring him up. Um, uh, that was my phone. Apologies. That's all right. Um, <laughs> oh, it's completely gone. Completely gone. It was along that lines, but you've said everything that's been that needed to be said. Oh, no, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I was going to say that um, you said about space to fail and it's down to those people who have that mindset to give that space to fail because I think the reason those again mostly white male artists feel they can fail is because they literally can and they know that their career isn't riding on it absolutely on, <laughs> on that what's your recommendation Luke that I've really loved this chat, by the way. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been absolutely no, I've kept you way longer than I should have. But <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. I can talk forever. As <laughs> um, I found this one really difficult, um, this, this, this recommendation thing. Um, I seem to take inspiration from any and everywhere. And right. it can be, it can be a, a song. It can be something as ridiculous as an episode of The Real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> I will awesome. be inspired, inspired by something ridiculous, like playing The Sims. <laughs> uh, crazy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I wanted, can I, is it just, can I? You can, can give whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. Can I give you? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to cheat. All right. Um, I, one is a book. Um, is it your book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What Blocking. way to plug it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, it's by uh, an author called Kai Miller. Um, he's a fantastic um, Jamaican author. 
um, and he's gay for anyone who wants to tick that box too. Um, <laughs> he's, he's phenomenal. And he's a poet as well. I think he's my favorite poet. Um, but it's a book called August Town. And it's set in, there is an August Town in Jamaica, um, but it's two words. This, he's joined them up and it's, uh, it's not a real place within this story. I don't think anyway. Um, but it, it is, it's about so many things. It is about so many things. It's about classism, racism, colorism. And what's, if you do not know, if for the, or the, the, the people listening, if, if I can recommend this to them and they would go away and read it, if they do not know about the plight of the Rastafarian community within Jamaica, this will be an, a, a, quite an eye-opener for them. Um, because despite what a lot of people think, the Rasta community is not treated well, and it never has been. Um, despite Jamaica using them as such a massive tourist attraction. Um, it's beautifully written. It's very moving. And we got the news towards the end of last year that they're turning it into a film, which is fantastic. Um, and the t a TV show I have in mind, which I think I found inspiring. I say I, th I think because I can't quite remember. <laughs> it's, it's an episode um, of Steve McQueen's um, Small Axe series, which played on BBC One. Um, and it's the first episode slash film called Mangrove. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's... They're all brilliantly well done. Um, there was something within Mangrove, maybe just seeing it as the first one, but there was something about seeing West Indian culture, which is something I feel like we're losing within British TV. Um, that was so... Seeing it in such an authentic way that we don't see anymore. Hearing Patwa, hearing Quayol being spoken, hearing accents that are not just Jamaican, but are also... Trinidadian, Grenadian, um, seeing that, seeing our history, the history of West Indian people here in Britain, and so much of it was done with the black audience in mind. I didn't watch that and go, why have they said that? Why? What's that thing called? It's not extrapolation. I get it, I get it confused in my head sometimes. Um, where you explain something and you don't need to within a uh, film or... T uh, or uh, exposition? Yes. There, there wasn't any exposition. There wasn't any need for that. There was so much in there where black people will just understand. And other people might question, and that's okay. Because they can question, they can find out. Mm. Um, but for black people, we just knew we knew what time it was, you know? And so I just thought, I mean, Steve McQueen is an Oscar winning director, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's reasons why he was able to do that. And it still took, I think, five years um, in development. But it kind of gave me a little bit of hope and it kind of made me think that is possible. It is possible to be in Britain yeah. and to be writing a black show for black people mm. and not have it full of exposition, not have it full of 
you know, there's no glossary at the back with terms that are defined. <laughs> what people right. who don't yeah. understand them. Um, and it was just so well done. It was so well done. Um, and the whole series is great. If you want a little bit of a history lesson, if you want to see why Black Lives Matter is a movement here in the UK, that's got so much to do with it, so much of the root of that um, within the modern context of the past century. Um, yeah, those, those are my things. Those are my things. I, I, I mean, I couldn't give you... Um, you know, a Sims game to play or a specific Real Housewives of Atlanta episode to watch. <laughs> but you are also putting those in at the back as well, just saying... Absolutely. Do those as well. Listen, so that was... when you create your own world on The Sims, you can inspire yourself. <laughs> so it was uh, August Town by Kai Miller and uh, Small Axe slash Mangrove is the first one. First one. Um, uh, by Steve McQueen. Yeah. Thank you very, very much, mate. Thank you so much for having me. This has been very, very fun. This podcast is produced by me, Andy Sellers, with original music by Daniel Hall.